everybody. Welcome back to The Undiscovered You, a podcast for 20, 30, and 40-year-old people who feel like they have so much more to offer but are somehow stuck where they are. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnston, and this season, we'll be speaking about being the authentic you. I'm extremely excited to be joined by my guest today, Lucy Eastcott. Hi, Lucy. Hi, nice to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. So Lucy's had an incredible career across the bank, UBS, and we're going to be talking a bit about being in an environment that is very, very male and trying to be your authentic self. So Lucy, where did you get started in terms of how did you end up at a bank, I guess, is my big question. Well, I guess starting with the theme of male-dominated areas, I um, did a degree at Cambridge. I started out studying mathematics, Mm -hmm. which was incredibly male-dominated, really uh, shocking to me after being at an all-girls school. Um, And uh, I actually switched courses partway through and ended up uh, doing economics. And as part of that, I did an internship um, at an investment bank called UBS, which is a, a big Swiss firm, and ended up getting an offer to join their graduate scheme, which to me seemed like a great place to start trying and rotating and seeing what I liked. I love that. I love that about graduate uh, schemes as well is the fact that you don't just go in and do one thing. You actually move around a bit. And it sounds like you had quite varied roles within your graduate scheme. Tell me a bit about what you did. So my very first job, I worked for a trader and my job was literally to work out how much money he made the previous day. And it was a he and so all the other traders. Um, And I used to have to go down to the desk with all the pieces of paper to to get them signed physically um, at that stage. Um, And it was a really interesting experience to kind of walk into kind of the wolf's den and and be the odd one out a little bit. Um, But I found that, you know, even being the odd one out in terms of gender, I built trust quite quickly um, with with the trader and, and it wasn't it didn't feel like too much of an issue um, that early in my career that I was perhaps the odd one out a lot of the time. That's interesting. So built trust with the trader. Tell me a bit about that. What, what did you do to build trust with this person? Actually, specifically, there was an event where um, so my job would be to check the numbers from the prior day. And he had a a quarter million dollar gain, which was not expected. And he said, oh, it's a computer error. It's this thing. And I kind of looked at it and I thought, I don't agree. I think I think you're wrong. And I went down to the desk and I kind of stood up to him and I said, "I, I don't think it's right. I think I think it's real. And he sort of was a little bit dismissive. And I said, no, teach me why you're right. And then next time I'll be I'll get it correct as well. And so he starts explaining this thing and it was quite a complex instrument. And I said, yeah, but you just hit the reset date yesterday. And his eyes went wide and he realized he was wrong. I was right. And he had a massive unhedged position that risk hadn't had misflagged as well. Um, so two or three people had made a mistake and I'd kind of picked it up. And it was just, I wasn't aggressive. I wasn't anything unusual. I just was intellectually curious. And I said, I want to understand, stood my ground. And then he turned around and was like, okay, thank you. Yes. Let me explain that you were right. (laughs) And um, uh, after that, I think it was a lot easier to then um, feel like we had each other's back a little bit. And he knew if he taught me something, I would learn it and and use it to his advantage. So um, we had a good, quite good working relationship after that. That's amazing. And a lot of times I think some of our our listeners may relate to this is you have that moment where you feel like you're right and the more senior person is wrong, or you feel like your Mm. boss has maybe made a mistake or that something might be 
able to be looked at differently. And what I love is the way that you approached it with that intellectual curiosity, as opposed to being like, I'm right, you're wrong. It's actually kind of show me, show me why you're right. Explain to me why it is. And I'd be interested to see how that would play out if you had someone who wasn't able to do that. So they didn't have either the intellectual capacity to do it because they didn't know, or they didn't take the time to do that. And I wonder, you know, for, for listeners, have you ever experienced anything where you've come up against somebody who maybe you challenged and they didn't take your challenge as well as this person did? I mean, I, I had, I had some friction in that job actually. So I was looking after two traders and the other trader was much more difficult. He was more junior, less sure of himself. Mm. And, um, he phoned me asking about his FX positions and we only got the the previous day's positions. So I was like, well, I can't tell you the live ones. Mm -hmm. And he, um, he was very aggressive, really started yelling at me. And I had that moment where I thought maybe, maybe I am wrong. So I literally, you know, held the phone away from my ear and I turned to, I had a lady who worked with me and I sort of said, you know, Emma can, am I right? We can't do this. And she's like, no, absolutely not. Um, and so I sort of took this torrent of abuse and then ended up having to, to tell my manager about it, who was great and said, you know, that's fine. If it happens again, call me and we're going down to the desk. And it did. It happened the next day. The guy went nuts at me over something that it was like, this is your job, not my job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I had to use other people's expertise because I understood the intellectual side, but I had no idea how to bail myself out of a trader going nuts and screaming at me which he he was absolutely not meant to do Um, and I had none of the coping mechanisms for that situation Mm. um it was more emotionally I was out of my depth um but I just I just turned to somebody else who knew um and it was quite funny uh, to see the trader sort of as soon as he saw my mandate he was like oh yes well I probably shouldn't have been so (laughs) heated about it um and I just got somebody else to cover for me and I watched them and I thought I will watch another person handle this situation that I don't know how to do. And then I'll know a little bit more for another time. Um, That's great. So again, using as a learning experience, recognizing your limitations, calling mm -hmm. in for help when you need it, asking someone else just to ensure that your position is correct. All fantastic pieces of advice for our listeners when you're in those sticky situations and you're dealing with something that's a bit hard. I think those are great pieces Mm -hmm. of advice. So you did a few other roles and um, one of them, you ended up in something called capital stress testing. So this sounds <laughs> really exciting. That's sarcasm for all of our American listeners. Yeah. You want the word stress in your job title. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> That's all you want. So the big idea here was, um, you know, UBS, like all firms, it holds capital, which is backup money in the case of something going wrong. And mm. um, we all know in the wake of the financial crisis, it turned out in some cases, those calculations were wrong. Mm. And certain stress events in inverted commas caused you to need more backup money than we actually had. So um, my job was to run what's called the pillar to um, stress testing framework. Basically, you take every single position in the bank, mm-hmm. you imagine a adverse but plausible scenario that's the uh, regulator's words not mine and you play that scenario out and all the maths and economics that that involves so um, one of the easy ones that people kind of understand is I modeled Brexit Mm. so the economics department said well this is what would happen to currency rates and equities markets and everything else and then you figure out well what does that mean for for UBS and how much money would we need to survive that particular situation Um, you could imagine the deadlines on those calculations and the 
scale of them as well. And the complexity. I mean, I just, the amount of time you must've had to spend doing those calculations. I mean, was that, was that, was that, was that enjoyable? Did you like it? T- tell me about the how one round that. was six weeks. Okay. Um, and it was, there were elements of the process where it was like, you sent off the things to a computer and the computer would work for three days. Um, so I remember getting a phone call from a CFO in the middle of that going, Lucy, you know, the referendum soon, like we need to speed up the calculations. I'm like, I can't make the computer faster. That, that was just how it is. Um, and then actually, you know, of that time, maybe half of it was raw calculations and then half of it was controls and validations and checking. Um, intellectually, it was fascinating. I learned mm-hmm. so much from that role because you see how the firm's making money and what would happen if something bad happened and what would management do and how does the economy change, you know, from, from all of these different scenarios and they'd all project out multi-year and it was, it was a mad job. Um, and I had full control, but I was also completely alone. So, you know, my instruction would be run the tests for this quarter. Um, and then off I'd go alone. Um, sometimes I wouldn't talk to a soul for three weeks from a professional needs perspective um, and then I'd present those to senior managers. Um, so yeah, lonely was what really characterized that job for me. Interesting. So incredibly good exposure. You learned a lot, mm. but it sounds like you also recognized that maybe working in isolation wasn't something that suited your personality type. Am I putting words in your mouth? Yeah. For that? No, I was miserable. And it's funny because when the opportunity arose, because I was asked to do that role and I was the role I'd been in, I was kind of coming to a natural end in terms of the project. Um, and I remember thinking it's a bit of a lone wolf role because I knew the the person who'd done it before. Obviously, he was a man and he was leaving the firm um, for the same role at a bigger, um, like a bigger scope. And I thought, well, it will be so interesting and I'll learn so much. I'll do it anyway. Um, and I, I really downplayed my personal feelings, I would say, mm-hmm. about how, how it would feel to be um, that on my own. And honestly, I can tell you the highlights of that job were presenting it to people and debating the maths with really smart people. But I'd only get to do that for three meetings in, you know, one week of every 10 weeks. I mean, it really was it was very lonely. Um, And I wilted like a little sad flower that it was not being (laughs) having any sunshine. I I, I got noticeably sadder every month um, of that role. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that, I think that's so important for listeners to hear um, is something that when you're taking a role on, regardless of how many senior stakeholders you're presenting to, how interesting the facts are, how much of intellectual capacity you need to use to do it, how interesting it is. If it's something that is going to rub up against your personality. So if you're somebody that's extremely extroverted and you're doing this incredible mm-hmm. introverted type role, it's going to deplete you. And as you, you just said, it made you sadder and sadder every month. So for anybody that's listening to this, if part of the reason that you're feeling stuck is because you need to, you need to recognize whether or not part of the reason that you're feeling stuck is because you're bumping up against your own personality in the role that you're doing mm-hmm. and take some time to assess that and, and look at your personality. And there's some great resources out there. There's one that's called the 16 personalities test. 
It's essentially a Myers-Briggs test. It's free. You get a ton of information off of it and it will help you to recognize the type of roles that suit your personality. I remember dismissing those. I had to do them when I was in university. I had to do them in law school. I think I did them when I became a professional (laughs) and I thought they were just weird and they were always the same. But what they kept (laughs) telling me is I was an extreme extrovert and I probably shouldn't have become a lawyer and locked myself away (laughs) in a library and studied all the time. But Mm. I did much better. I I said this in another one of my podcasts with our mentors is I actually did much better when I got into a study group because that allowed me to use my personality and and work my way through law school. So it sounds like kind of a similar awakening for you in terms of roles that suit your personality a bit more. Yeah. And and I'd also say, you know, your, your boss may well be a really helpful person, but in my case that that boss was horrified when I quit. It was the only job I ever really properly said, I'm going to now find something that's not this. Mm. And he, he was like, but you are the best person we've ever had performing this job. And I just remember looking at him thinking, but I'm so sad. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and, and he, you know, he, it wasn't that he didn't care. He, it was that he couldn't see that. He could just see that I was able to do the maths um, mm. and I was able to stand up in a room and present. And he didn't realize instead of thinking, wow, isn't it great that someone who's doing a very introverted role is also able to present to lots of people. He didn't realize that that was the only time I felt alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like once every three months. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a really important point is that sometimes we kind of depend on our line managers or our colleagues to notice things that are going on internally with us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're not going to notice that if you're doing a great job and people that are listening to this podcast are going to be the type of people who are doing a great job and are nailing it. And so you need to be thinking about how do you do that self-care? How do you take a step back and think about how it's actually affecting you? And um, if you're getting sadder and sadder every month, leave your job, definitely leave your job. There's no incentive about about that. Um, So you moved into a bit more kind of extroverted roles, but so far we've heard a lot of he's through this and I'm going to come back to that in a second, Uh, but you moved into a a coup role in the front office um, and and then eventually ended up in the digital space. So how did you end up in the digital space? Again, being a female in an investment bank, not where you would expect to be ending up. So the first thing was that I, I knew what was important to me. So I, I, I'd come to this crisis point in that job and I wrote down on a piece of paper, I think about seven things that mattered to me. It was like, I want somebody who cares about you know agility and um, I want a job where I am talking to lots of people. And they're quite abstract things. You know, It wasn't a job title. It was just themes and sort of values. And literally the next morning, my phone rang and um, this guy I didn't know, um, Uh, said hi my name's so-and-so are you the Lucy who used to work with this person yeah that's right and he said I appreciate your desk you probably can't really talk right now but I'm hiring and I'm all about x y z and it was literally five out of the seven things he just Mm. straight up listed Uh, and he said would you like to set up a slot and you can go to a private room and we can have a conversation about um it was an internal role but it was a different department and I said yes please (laughs) Um, but I could only do that with such confidence because I had I had a degree of clarity. Um, and so I moved into this the CRO role doing um, assorted change management. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much just took what I was given in terms of projects. Um, I ended up 
working for my first ever female boss. Um, so the guy who was recruiting had a whole team in the UK and I was able to express a preference. It turned out it was somebody I'd met on a training course. She'd been teaching one part, I'd been teaching another. And we both at the end had a kind of, oh, I like, I like your bit. <laughs> um, and she was someone who I really looked up to and, and thought I could um, learn a lot from. So um, that was, that was fantastic. That felt like coming back to life, to be mm. honest. Um, and I also, I made a point of expressing to my managers what I did and didn't want in projects. Mm. And I said to them, um, you know, they, they put me on one project at one point that was horrible and everyone knew it was horrible. Uh, and it was, it was just six months of pain. And I said, I will deliver this thing. It will get done. And it did get done. But just so you know, this has been really horrible. Can I get one of the nicer projects from my next, <laughs> my next one? And I'm your wild card. I'm interested in X, Y, and Z. And that's how I got put into the digital space was because I'd, I'd expressed openness to it. I'd expressed, I'd, I'd demonstrated the willingness and an ability to deliver on the really hard, difficult things. Mm. And so there was this a feeling that I'd, I'd proven myself and they'd give me, give me a shot on the new wildcardy digital area. Um, which went from 60 people to 80 people to 250 people to now about 450. So it's, it's just mad how much that's grown. Wow. I, I love so much in what you've just said. And one of the things I want to pull out is that idea of taking the time to think about what are the values that you hold dear to yourself? And what are the types of things that that really make your heart sing is one of the phrases I like to use. What are the things that you enjoy doing? And it doesn't have to be very specific things, but that whole idea of themes, it's innovating, it's dealing with people, it's, you know, mm. whatever the things that you are interested in. And then that opens up your world to a whole other area that you may not even consider because you're no longer looking at job specifications. You're thinking it in terms yeah. of themes. I love that. And yeah. your next job may not exist yet. Exactly. And that's, especially and that's, it's digital. <laughs> I know. And that's, that's, that is, that is the beauty of millennials as well is the fact that they want to push the envelope in a way that I think, you know, people that are more, more in the earlier generations that are still in the workforce, we, we tend to see things as this linear climb up the ladder, mm. pay your dues, move on. Whereas when you have that kind of gen Y, gen Z, you know, gen alpha coming in, they tend to see things a lot differently. They tend to, to look at things and say, where can I get a leadership opportunity? Even as a junior member, where mm. can I actually innovate here? Where can I challenge what you're doing and ask the questions and going back to what you said earlier about that kind of intellectual curiosity, it's a great way to challenge the status quo is to approach people and say, why do we do it this way? Why do you do it this way? I'd love to, I'd yeah. love to understand your process. <laughs> And so I think, I think that's fabulous. And, and just also um, one of the other, one of the other things you said was that you had a degree of clarity around things and, and that I think having clarity around what you enjoy is so important. So writing those seven things down, writing those mm -hmm. five things down, whatever it is that makes you take, taking that time to stop, reflect, think, and not just keep pushing forward, I think is so important. But bear in mind, I was also seven years into a career at that point. Mm. So this wasn't like I was straight out of school and I knew what I wanted in a job. I had tried by that point, five different jobs, including one I really hated. Yeah. Um, and so I would say if you don't know what that list is, that's OK, too. You can try something and see. And, you know, it wasn't a disaster that I had a job that I hated. It, it just helped 
provide clarity and a whole bunch of contracts that have been incredibly helpful um, when I was then doing something I really wanted to do. Yeah. So building up that network, that's one thing that you get out of any job you do, even if you hate it. Another one is you'll always find something you can learn from the job. That's something mm. we tell our, we, we tell our listeners constantly is try to get something out of every awful experience because there's something to be got. And one of the things I remember doing in a job I hated was just taking every training course that was available on something <laughs> that I wanted to learn about. And it's just use, use the, use whatever asset is available to you in that situation, exposure to senior people, nail it, do the best you can, but look for your exit route while you're doing that and write it down and say, I do not like this. What is it that you do not like? I do not like solitary confinement and only looking at numbers. I do not like, you know, I do not like presenting to people. If you hate presenting to people, write it down. Yeah. Just, and, and keep, keep telling people those things. That was the other thing I wanted to, to pull out from what you said is you expressed what you did and did not want to do, but you also paid your dues, showed that you could do it, showed your value and then ask for something that you wanted. And that's that tit for tat. That's that give and take that we also talk about a lot on the show. Yeah, nobody wanted that project. I mean, it really was no fun. Um, and it's unrealistic to think everything is going to be fun because they probably wouldn't pay you if it was fun. They'd get mm -hmm. people to do it just for their amusement. Um, so yeah, um, I'm glad I did it. And needed yeah. doing. <laughs> good, good, good. So I just want to go back to this uh, constant theme of being in very male dominated areas. So, you know, the name of this whole season is about being the authentic you. And it sounds like you've found an area that you really enjoy being in. And that area is quite male dominated. You found mm -hmm. a degree that you enjoy doing, but that was very male dominated. Are there times when you feel like you have to adjust your personality or adjust the way you speak or adjust anything because of that environment? Or do you very much feel like you can be your authentic self in those environments? I think it's shifted over time. Um, actually, that, that job that I found so difficult, one of the things I had to do was present to all of the business heads. And I remember going into a room with 17 people there. I can tell you very clearly where, who was there and, and everything. There was one other woman in the room and she was the secretary taking minutes. And my then boss stood up and said, oh, yes, we're all gathered here today to you know do the maths. And um, then I remember he said, and Lucy is going to be taking a lead in that. And I just remember these 17 men, all 20 years older than me plus, looking at me with what I would describe as benevolent surprise. So there was no, why is the young girl doing it? And um, there was no cynicism or skepticism, but there was a definite moment of pause where I just felt everyone go, oh, okay, she's different. Um, and I'd, I'd memorized my first five sentences. And so I just plowed through them and they all kind of settled into the fact that we were looking at the boring maths and we were going to talk about the, you know, the e economic implications of um, whatever we were looking at. Um, but I really, I really retained that. And I remembered that it consumed so much more energy for me than mm. if it had been a room where I felt like there were just a few more um, familiar faces or a few more people that felt like me. And I must've gone to the bathroom like seven times before that meeting. Um, it doesn't help, but uh, that just shows you the level of energy there. And what I realized was that I had to give myself a little bit of a break that I was just paying a little tax on the mm -hmm. transaction there. 
Um, and that was okay for where I was. You know, I didn't, I didn't have the emotional resilience to feel like it was okay that I was the odd one out. Um, over the years, that's really shifted. And especially into my thirties, I feel like as much of my growth in my career has been due to emotional stability and maturity and exploring things almost in my personal life and just feeling more authentic that's then unlocked that next layer of of career growth because now if I had to present to all men I'd probably say why are you telling me their gender this is this is not relevant um and actually you know there are plenty of rooms where I feel like I'm the odd one out and that doesn't matter to me at all anymore um so I I think (sighs) recognizing when it's an energy sink and just giving yourself the grace to say maybe don't schedule too many other difficult meetings that day maybe have time for a coffee before or after just to to give you that that breather um was what something that I wish I'd done earlier because because it was tiring Mm. I think I I love that the fact that it it just it actually consumed energy it's that's such a great phrase because that's exactly what it does it's it's a depleting thing. It's not an energizing thing when you have to perform like that. And I think the more junior you are, it's also more difficult anytime you walk into a room of more senior people because you're scared you're going to get asked a hard question that you don't know the answer yeah. to. You're scared that you're going to mess up. You're scared that you're going to have done your research wrong. You're scared that someone's going to point something out and make you look a fool. You have all those fears when you walk into the room, especially as a junior person, and then add to it if you're the only person of a specific gender and you get some kind of reaction. Your reaction sounds like it was more positive than some other people's reactions. And I think one thing I would add to what you said is prepare, prepare, prepare. So you had those five first lines memorized, ready to go. I'm sure you knew your slides inside and out. I'm sure you Mm -hmm. knew those numbers inside and out. And that preparation actually gives you a level of confidence that you don't otherwise have. So if you're walking into the lion's den, you know, make sure that you have taken the time to prepare. And sometimes it's really silly things that will help you just reduce that stress. So I remember I picked my outfit that day with a pale blue because Mm. all the men would wear pale blue or white shirts pretty much in banking. And I don't generally wear baby blue to work, but it was, I knew that I wanted myself to visually be the same color as all the people in the room. And I don't recommend that for all, all occasions, but for me, that helped me feel like I was fitting a little bit um, as a really small little thing. Interesting. That's really interesting. I like that piece of advice a lot. So um, in terms of what you've learned about yourself through these processes, so we've talked a lot Mm. about learning what you didn't want to do, learning what you did want to do, asking for things, paying your dues, doing your preparation, learning about how the organization works, using your network. All these things are fantastic. What's something that, so we, we know, obviously the podcast is called the undiscovered you. So what have you discovered about yourself along the way? So maybe the first thing is a little more generic for all women who are in this situation of being in a male dominated environment. Yes, there's a degree of energy sink from it and you sort of pay a tax, but you also get a corresponding advantage which is that you are so much more memorable. I mentioned to you that that job that I hated, the phone rang and somebody was seeking me out. And I'm not saying that's because I was a woman, but I'm saying the percentage of people who remembered who I was and my name is much higher than with 
the average man who I was working with just because I kind of stuck out and I was mm. a little bit unusual um, and it's a lot easier to remember your name when you're the only Lucy in the room I have I didn't think I've ever worked with another person with the same name as me a first name even so you just get to you know be like Cher and just go by your first name which is <laughs> kind of cool in these huge organizations um for myself I definitely learned that I'm far more capable than I realized um in particular, if I stop trying to do everything perfectly. Mm. So I really, and I think it's not just a female thing, but but definitely women often want to tie it all up neatly with a bow and present it all beautifully. Um, and that isn't always necessary. Um, in fact, by trying to do that, by trying to do everything to the nth degree, you're missing out on 90% of opportunities. And if you could just let a few things go and make wise choices about, what to turn your hand to and what really needs the effort um a, a lot can happen and you know failing at things is not as terrifying as I thought it was I, I had one recently where some somebody very stressed called me because a milestone was overdue and I was like it's true it is overdue well we have to change it w what will that do and we worked out it was going to take two hours to change the thing and I was like no <laughs> and you know what a month has passed and nothing bad has happened yet yeah <laughs> and I saved myself two hours um for that one element of I'm on the naughty list um mm. so I, I think um that that breadth is something that that women can often uh, miss out that they can do um I also I worked for a really senior leader um as his chief of staff which meant I was helping him with his strategy but my role would sometimes encompass right the way down to the, the lowbrow stuff as well. So sometimes I, it would be like, we have an emergency query from a regulator. You need to draft a response. Other times I'd literally write his emails for him and just send them to him and be like, please send this to 400 people. And he, he, he would. So there was a lot of trust there. He winged it so much. You would not believe how many meetings. And he'd be like, what, who are these people? What's it with? Okay. And he'd just turn, turn it on, on a dime. And, um, I think knowing that really helped me to say, actually, I can, I don't have to be super prepared. I can still have huge value, deliver more value, actually, if I um, face some of those fears. Um, the other thing I mentioned was it's, it's all, you bring your whole self to work. You know, you, you don't, you're not just a, a robot who has a list that is on your CV of your skills. And then those are the things that you deliver when you spend so many hours in a place with other human beings, it takes a lot of energy to be anything other than the true you. Um, and so as I learn things in my personal life, like navigating stress or knowing what my triggers are and understanding how I react, if somebody doesn't like the way that I'm doing things, that's actually all of that has helped my career and that's just me growing up and maturing as a person that's not something that I've specifically been told to do for my job um and so I think for me bringing my whole self to work is is now the only way I could operate mm, I love that and, and I think also that energy depletion point that you brought out previously if you're already working at a negative because you're not being authentic you're not bringing your whole self to work you're trying really hard to be something that you think someone else wants you mm. to be. Everyone's going to recognize that there's a stress there. They're going to see that disconnect, even if they can't pinpoint it and they can't really note it, they're going to know it's there. 
And then you personally are starting at a depletion and walking into another experience that's going to deplete you even more. You're not going to be at your best. And so, Mm. and if you feel like, again, I'm going to challenge listeners on this. If you feel like you cannot be yourself in a position find out why, ask that question, say, why do I feel like I can't be myself? And is that self-imposed? This is the hardest question to answer is, are you letting your fears hold you back? Because you feel like if you try to be yourself in this environment, people aren't going to accept you for who you are, then get out of the environment, potentially question mark. If not show up, be yourself. It's something I had to learn as well. I'm a very bubbly, cheery cheerleader type person, which is not what you do in a law firm. It's not, you don't show up singing in the morning at a law firm and that's who I am. And if I hold that back again, as you say, sadder and sadder every month, it depletes me. It makes me so that joy and that spark and what I bring my unique enthusiasm that I bring gets quashed. So you're missing out on my unique skill set, and you're just getting another cog in a wheel that's doing the work. And so I think, I think, again, recognizing those strengths that you have and not hiding your light under a bushel and not taking, you know, taking something that's unique about you and hiding it because you're scared that it doesn't quite fit in with the status quo. Just yeah. forget the status quo, be you. And to be clear, we're talking about deep work there. Mm. I mean, this is not some career peppy um, request to say, oh, just try and organize your to-do list better. If you're asking those deep questions about, you know, why have I set my expectations of myself a certain way, you're going to be looking at your childhood and you're going to be looking at, you know, things that you've learned or that you've heard that you've encoded in your operating system. Um, and they they are hard to change. Um, I'd really recommend the work of Dr. Nicole LaPera. Um, she's a psychologist who just says complicated things in simple ways which I think is amazing um, and is really good at just getting to the guts of like what well, what is the emotion that you're feeling and can you ride through that and ask the deeper question and, and start to write your own operating system because that's what we get to do as, as adults. That's fantastic we're going to actually going to have a psychotherapist on the podcast she's one of the top psychotherapists in the NHS and she's going to be talking about those neural pathways and how we develop mm. these shortcuts and how we don't even know we've done it and how we can undo them and think about things differently and how our brains are wired to work a certain way and we actually have to work to unwire them and wire them differently and think about things differently. So that is a fantastic recommendation. Thank you for that. We'll try to throw that into the into the bottom of this podcast so that our, our um, listeners can link to that. I'm going to ask you our final question as we're closely running out of time. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever heard or received or given? I don't know if it's the best, but certainly a good one is there's a really big difference between the Western philosophy of time and the Eastern philosophy of time. So in the West, we think of time as linear. You know, last year was before this year, which is, um, you know, and then you have next year. And so there's this feeling that you miss opportunities and they don't come back around again because time is a straight line and, and you missed it. You dropped the ball. And I think that leads to a real fear of failure and a real fear about growth and and confusion um, around that. Whereas the Eastern philosophy is that time is more circular. So, you know, today is Monday, there'll be another Monday, there've been Mondays before. Mm -hmm. It's currently the summer, there've been summers previously, there'll be summers again. So everything goes in a circle. And I think questioning a little bit 
how you think about your career and do you think it's linear or do you realize that you know Tuesday comes back around again and you get to try again I love the agile philosophy of continuous improvement because Mm. it's every change is so small but there's always a little bit of movement there's always a little bit of shift so it's not I have to climb the corporate ladder it's more how can I make this Tuesday better than last Tuesday and those incremental games they they build up where we're in Olympic season. I think the cyclists, the cycling uh, teams in the UK are amazing. And they have this mindset of all these small incremental gains. Um, and I think that that can go through absolutely everything. And you will be shocked where you are in a year of thinking like that. I love that. Yeah. And, and celebrating those small successes as well is that mm-hmm. you, they build up and all of a sudden look back a year later and look at where you are. Don't look back the next day. Don't look back the next week. Don't look back a few months later. And if you're not happy where you are, think about where you want to be in another year's time and think about where you want to be in that next Monday. I love that. That's fantastic. So this has been absolutely fascinating, Lucy, and I thank you so much for your time. I know I've learned a lot. I'm sure my listeners have as well. And I think just being your authentic self helps you to not get depleted of energy. As we've talked about finding what you want to do is so important and knowing what you want, don't want to do is just as important. So thank you for sharing your time with us. And we look forward to having you back another time to talk to us. I'm sure. Cause this was fantastic. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Kimberly. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Join us next week when we speak to Izeldi Lewitz, who's a director of valuations at a major property advisory firm about being her authentic self. Don't forget to subscribe, like, comment below, and I hope you're one step closer to discovering the undiscovered you.